Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sink or Swim, the last episode in Season 1, the season finale. Um, season 1, I believe, didn't really give any of you guys a description of what this is. It basically is just home life, uh, people that I'm going to be interviewing, a lot of people from home, a lot of uh, hometown friends, uh, so a lot of people really close. Uh, to me that I've spent most of my time on this earth with and I guess you guys can kind of get that theme based on how it's mainly been just a lot of family uh, that we've been talking to so but anyways we have a special treat today um, this guy that we have that's going to be interviewed um, really like a lot of people that they know of him don't necessarily know about him um, the, their legends told in many uh, campfire stories that have uh, really built this guy up a little bit. Um, goes by many names. Uh, the main one, Big Rich, uh, he is my father, uh, Richard Swim. So, thanks for coming on. Glad you could be here, finally. Uh, what's up? Jackson, thanks for having me as part of your podcast and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah? Yeah. So what, I'm assuming that you haven't like listened to any of these podcasts before. Not one. <laughs> exactly, because... <laughs> not one. Every single person that we've, I've interviewed, they've not listened to the podcast before. It's like, you know, what, what's the deal? You guys are going in blind. I feel like that's a little bit dangerous. I, actually, I think you might be getting the most true uh, reflections because people don't have time to prepare. Okay. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, you're really in control. If no one's listened to the questioning, the format, or anything else, you can pretty much uh, you know get their most, I think, honest, unprepared, unscripted, um, you know, feedback. And so, just like things that are going on, that's pretty good. Like, I mean, who's going to be driving the car? They don't really know what's up. They're like, okay, where are we going? Yeah, zero prep time when it comes to interviews. I think zero prep time and um, not just prep time, but preparation of any kind is probably best. If the goal is to get, you know, real genuine, honest feedback, um, if it's like a, more of a humor type thing and there's like a repartee that you're looking for, mm -hmm. you know, like the Adam Carolla show, they've got a script, they've got their topics, they've got their regulars that come in, that sort of thing. So um, my goal in life actually is to um, be a regular Okay. Uh, call in um, onto the Sink or Swim podcast. Um, and I would prefer not knowing who the guest is. You um, just want to know what their answer is and you want to give feedback to that I want to, when I call in, I'm going to want to know who the guest is, why they're on your show, and, um, and you know, I may have a question for them or I may just have a comment and say goodbye. I don't know. But <laughs> I, it's, it's kind of like it. It's kind of like Larry Bud Melman on the old Dave Letterman show. Um, or um, who's the guy that's on Jimmy Kimmel's show, the guy that goes out on the street? Uh, I can't remember. Anyway. I'm not a big Jimmy Kimmel guy. Okay, well, anyway. Yeah. There you go. All right, let's move on. All right. Well, yeah, I guess we're moving on now. Um, yeah, pretty pretty good. You kind of seem like you're uh, expecting a little bit more. Like, I do have some sort of structure to this. <laughs> <laughs> I do prefer structure, but you know what's interesting is I, I actually the only kind of uh, trepidation that I have about doing this podcast is that you may have built me up via the legend stories, um, <laughs> and so the people that uh, even your intro it's kind of like big rich. Ooh, what's big? You know, it's kind of like ooh, this is going to be good. Hey, yeah, explain I, that a little. I, bit. The real thing is, I think a little bit. Um, less impressive uh, than anything you know that people might assume that I would say on the show. Well, let's just picture this. Okay, okay? you are my father. The whole um, childhood vision of a, a kid to looking at his father is obviously like hero, you know. Mm. And then as they go on through life, they start to see like you know what I'm gonna go, you know, stick it to the man a little bit. And go against the grain, which I mean, we've had our fair share of ups and downs of me trying to stick it to the 
stick it to you and then you kind of saying, hey, that's completely, you know, outlandish and uh, I've been corrected multiple times, which I mean, it's good fatherly correction. And I've come to the point where it's like, you know what? I'm really grateful for that. And so I'm just going to go revert back to the whole hero mindset that I have of you. Hmm. And so I was like, going to just keep on hyping you up and say, you yeah, know. So people can be bitterly disappointed. I don't think they're going to be bitterly disappointed. Okay. I think it's just like. Well, it is what it is. You know, it's kind of like people build up people in history. Like FDR, great example. Mm-hmm. They, oh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was amazing. And he got us through the Great Depression and World War II, blah, 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 blah. But. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in real life, um, not as impressive. Huh. You know, history, we kind of elevate things, like an obituary. Yeah. Everyone is a saint and a great guy, you know, and uh, man, loved his family and blah, 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 wonderful person. And yeah, you know, the obituary is always greater than the actual thing. It would be easier and more honest if the person that's actually, you know, dying could write their own obituary. Much more honest. Much more honest. Much they more get straight honest. to the point. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we it's part of, I think, this weird thing. It's kind of like when John McCain died and we had a, you know, five-week-long funeral for John McCain. He wasn't that great. Hmm. He was actually kind of, you know, yeah, okay, he got shot down over Vietnam and he endured, you know, a number of years in prison camp and that sort of thing. Yeah, tough guy. But in terms of being a decent human being, yeah, let's let's maybe cut it down to a week worth of funerals, not not five <laughs> weeks, you know, because it wasn't that great. Yeah, exactly. What other people would you say would fall into that category of just... You know, they got all this praise, you know, either when they died or they're, they're getting it right now. And it's just like, okay, hold on. Let's take a couple steps back. This person is not the cup of tea that you should be, you know, hanging your hat on. Like Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. Have you seen the stuff that's been going on with her? It's so unfortunate. You know, it's been a rough year for her because uh, I think it was in January when uh, she got all this shine for sitting in Jerry Jones's football box, um, uh, you know, spectator box type thing, sitting yeah. next to George Bush. And she's a nice guy. Heck, I'd love to have a conversation with Ellen DeGeneres. She cut a rash of shine for just sitting down and having a conversation with someone that maybe had different political viewpoints than her. Okay. Big deal. I do remember that. That seems like ages ago. Yeah, but it, this, it, it, these are in certain times. Very uncertain. And time is uncertain during the uncertain time. Would you so consider time It might have been be, two years ago. It could possibly. I mean, you could argue that. Yeah. But I'm talking about what recently happened with her because a lot of yeah. workers have come out and said, like, you know what? It's really not great working with her. She's kind of um, not, not crazy, but apparently there's, like, a lot of... Yeah injustice going on within the workplace. I I read a little bit about it and it seems like some of the producers and producers in the TV world are folks that get the guests together, make sure that the show is rolling along. You don't have a producer. You are the producer. And, uh, and then the producer has interns and staff below them that, you know, have to get all the nitty gritty done. Mm. And the nitty gritty people weren't treated that well by some of the producers. Yeah. I can't. I don't. You know. I've never done a TV show, so that I don't know. I don't know wild. how stressful it is, but I do know that if you were to come into my office and uh, it's a fairly high stress environment, um, we're dealing with people's homes where they're going to live, and I'm a mortgage banker, and there's just a bazillion rules and compliance and guidelines that you have to fill through. And I got to tell you, people people are a little touchy when it comes to money. Mm-hmm. So you make a mistake, and man, I can really impact some people in a negative way. And in my office, um, there's a lot of things that are not necessarily in our control. And so I might go expletive that effing appraiser. Yeah. You know, how could he be such an idiot? And my assistant is within five feet of me, six feet, COVID. Yeah, okay, and, good. And she hears me go off on that little rant. Well, if she's a sensitive Sally, 
she could internalize that if she is you know soft you know if she's you know a snowflake okay fortunately i don't hire assistants that are snowflakes and they'll go yeah that appraiser was a blankety blank you know whatever so there's a lot of sometimes anger venting that sort of thing but never directly at a person but uh, you know it's there's not a lot of time for just kind of molly coddling is a word that is uh you know making it safe for everybody and Making sure everyone's okay that day, that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't, you know, Ellen's generous. If those people didn't like the way they're being treated, hey, go start your own TV show. Yeah. You know, seriously, I, that's the libertarian in me that just kind of goes, hey, you, any owner of a product or a company should be able to fire anybody they want to at any time, and if you are going to accept their good graces and you know have a job, you know, under them, you got to. That's kind of played by their rules. Obviously, not rules related to abuse, physical abuse, sexual harassment, that sort of thing. But in a tough environment, there's going to be high expectations. And the stuff that I read, it seemed like the producers were more just like not nice. Yeah. And really demanding. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. Probably the people that are working in that environment. What is it? Hollywood? Yeah. They're down there. I mean, the types of people don't want to stereotype or generalize, but... Usually, you know, the demographic is a lot of people that, you know, I don't even know how to explain it without getting touchy, but kind of the snowflake mentality, kind of like soft. Safe space. Safe space. Yeah, yeah. work is not a safe space. And that's the thing that scares me most about, you know, middle school, high school, college, and people, oh, the bullying, blah, 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 blah. Sorry. I'm, you know, you're not going to make it in the real world. You might as well just go ahead and, you know, really tidy up your room at mom and dad's house because you're going to be there for the rest of your life. Would you be an advocate for bullying? No. What about what about the what but, about the trials learned through that process? Absolutely. Do you remember when the neighbor up the street was calling you Jack Axon? Yeah. And Jackass Axon. Yeah, and I mean, I was pretty oblivious to what was being on going on there i'm like huh he you know mentioned that he used my name he combined it with a cuss word that was kind of off limits for me at the time put together i'm like oh sweet i'm one of the guys now but no i was getting bullied i was was being called a jackass yeah exactly and what did i tell you to do yeah punch him yeah or not punch him first okay talk to him first talk to him first and let him know that if he calls you that again that you're gonna punch him hmm this is your childhood has this influenced your mentality because i remember the stories that you told me about your elementary school of you know just fights oh. and that whole social instances of of what happened down it there it was you know and i you were roughing it down in everett yeah you know, it was 201 98201 and and it wasn't quite hawthorne elementary but it was whittier was you know it was a little edgy it was gritty you know, was ever, Hawthorne like people ever, getting shot or something? No, but Hawthorne was really rough. Really, I mean, it was it was kids that knew how to survive because mm. because whatever they experienced at school um, was nothing like that they were going to experience at home. Yeah, and so they were tough. They were tough kids. Um, but you know, I, I look back and you know I've mentioned this before that elementary school. If we didn't have a fight by Wednesday, Thursday was spent kind of trying to instigate someone with, you know, somebody, like, you know, stir the pot so that Friday there'd be a fight. You guys were hungry. It was. It hungry was like, for it was, it was entertainment. Yeah. There's morning recess and then lunch recess. And, man, I tell you what, a lot of stuff went down. Uh, I think of uh, one kid, Ron, um, that I had a fight with in the fifth grade. And it was, it was so funny. It was kind of like we were wailing on each other, no face shots. It was after school. We were wailing on each other. And, and I said to Ron, I said, okay, we're each going to throw one more punch and then we're going to run away from each other. Because, <laughs> you know, my gut was starting to hurt. And sure enough, I, he threw a punch, I threw a punch, he ran, and I didn't run. 
And so it looked like to the couple of spectators that were there that Ron was running. <laughs> so I clearly won that fight just by a, a TKO. And and you could see you know, the people that are watching the money getting handed, passed uh, around a, like yeah. a... Or maybe, you know, some adults by the chain link are like, all right, sweet, Richard got his, yeah. uh, got his dub in. All right, let's, let's bring it on over here. There was some really... And man, there was... There is one fight, Danny Kay. Holy moly, a gal! Oh, so we, we had we had uh, two African American gals uh, in my elementary school, uh, Danny Kay and Althea. And man, oh man, Danny Kay and Althea of all people to get in a fight with, the two African American kids in my elementary school, in the same grade, and they were fighting with each other. And I'm thinking that's. You know, there's you can't be fighting each other. No, you no, know, no. it's like come on, and uh, and it was a just an absolute knockdown drag out. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, there was there was clothing on the ground. There was blood. There was scratching. There a lot was of hair slapping. Pulling. Oh yeah, it was. They had obviously seen this go down before, and uh, it was it was an amazing fight. And uh, the best part was. The uh, the kind of like the the setting was underneath the curved arched um, playground equipment. Oh, and okay. so like everyone was surrounding it and stuff like that, and, and like were... climbing on top of the equipment. Yes, and, like, getting the birds. It was like a it. cage match. It was like a cage match. It was awesome. It's it's and, some you know what is it in the WWE? It's like Hell in a Cell. Or yeah, something. Hell in a Cell cage match. Texas strap match, whatever, but it was it was phenomenal, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Danny Kay's older brother, um, I won't mention the name to give some of your Googler people that the you because know, we got a lot of Googlers yeah, he, on here. He shot somebody oh, in, in junior year in high school, and he's in the big house, I think, still. Wow. So, yeah, rough. That is pretty right. Obviously, what type of repercussions were given out with so, any of this? So, we we had uh, a principal, um, Mr. Ludwig, and uh, and he was. It was they had a, a the sole of a size sixteen Converse tennis shoe, big shoe, big shoe, really big shoe, and Converse tennis shoes just straight rubber. You know, and a six, so you've got about a foot and a quarter, you know, long piece of rubber with the canvas shoe part taken off, and that's what you would get. And uh, usually it was just one swat, but if you didn't react strongly enough, you maybe you got two. Really? Mm hmm. But I mean, today it's like you're not coming back to school for a while. But, I mean, I don't think any of that yeah, behavior they just, would they just be. They just got swatted and they were back in class. I mean, even the swat, like, okay. You, you wouldn't see someone being, you know, reprimanded with a, a SWAT today in like an elementary school. You'd see him like get sent home or something like that. Yeah, it, it would be soft space. Yeah. You know? um, but the SWAT, the, the cool thing, if you think about the psychology of it, they come in to the principal's office after the lunch recess and, you know, they're, they're already upset and angry and stuff like that. All the kids are talking about it. The teachers are trying... And then you give out two swats to each of them. It in per like where everyone can see it. No, 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 no. Oh, this okay. is in the principal's in office. The principal. okay. and, and Mrs. Uh, gosh, what was the secretary's name? I can't remember the secretary's name. I'll, I'll come up in a second. She would be the witness, and um, and so anyway, they would send them back to class. Like immediately after the SWAT, they're heading back to class. So they're still their faces are red from oh, crying. They're they're crying and and then they gotta sit down. I mean it was it was rough, but it communicated everybody knew what the consequence was gonna be. You know, there was no guesswork or anything like that. And the principal got to send a message that if you do this kind of shine, there's gonna be some consequences. And if you really want to do the crime this is what's going to happen. And the thing is, is that most people just, you know, continue to make those choices. They, they did it and they, you know, they got steel buns yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Like, so in, in middle school, the, uh, the vice principal was Graham Hume. Okay. He was, you know, 
to a, a kid that hadn't hit puberty yet, he looked like he was seven feet tall. But he was probably about six four. Okay. And he was just a big guy, you know, just a bruiser. And he had uh, a paddle that was really long. It was like probably three feet, three and a half feet long with a handle, the holes in it, the whole nine yards. Man, I never got one of those, but it, the the tales of, of the impact of that weapon were significant. And, wow. uh, and, you know, they obviously all survived it and it was all good in the hood, but... It, uh, I think it had its place in the 70s and 80s. Any hospitalizations that went down? No hospitalizations. Um, there was a fight my sixth grade year where they did call an aid car. This is at Carver Middle School, um, the old uh, North Junior. And uh, there was a kid that got in a fight, got knocked down, and uh, hit his head. His name was Tony. Mm. And uh, he was bleeding real bad. He was split probably about four inches across the, the his forehead. And, wow. Yeah. So aid car came. That was excitement. Jeez. And that, you know, school online just doesn't provide these opportunities. Yeah. What are you guys going to go to? Cyberbullying? What's going to happen? Well, that's scary. Cyberbullying is scary. And I think that the kids these days, they have... The equipment, they have the intelligence to go do whatever they want online. I feel like the teachers are going to be at such a disadvantage that they won't know what to do. Right. You know, I think about the two, there's there's a few Instagram accounts out. I barely know how to use Instagram, but they're related to kind of like uh, secret shares um, about, you know, sexism, bullying, whatever, you know, at Snohomish School District. I'm just going... There's no way of telling whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. I would suspect, based upon some of the, the the ones that I read, not all of them are true. Some of them might be. But there's no way of monitoring. There's no way of processing. And the downside of having all online is that there's no opportunity of really following up. There's no opportunity for a kid to have connection with an adult that can be a safe place to share mm-hmm. and that's you know that's another part of the bullshine is that you talk about mental and emotional health um and i don't know if i don't know if if this is all the solution but definitely not having an, an adult to be able to confide in or an adult that at least can recognize changes over week to week to week um that they can maybe dial in a little bit yeah it's scary a lot of kids are going to be behind uh you know, mentally and then emotionally socially, too. Yeah. And socially. Just learning how to deal with uh, conflicts. I mean, this is, so you went to North Shore Christian Academy for the first two or three years, right? Yeah. And then I got booted okay. out. Right. Cause you bit somebody. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the interesting thing about um, North Shore is that they tried to eliminate all opportunities for conflict resolution where the kids figure it out. Hmm. What a disservice. You got some savants at North Shore Christian Academy and private schools in general, you know, just brilliant kids. They couldn't unscrew the cap of a conflict if they, you know, use both hands. Yeah. They just couldn't do it. You don't know how to minimize. You don't know how to negotiate. You don't know how to, you don't have to, you don't know how to deal or dialogue with frustrations, feelings, stuff like that. And, you know, it seems like today that the people jump from, you know, being angry at someone to pulling an AK. There's no in between. There's not a There's no gradual, escalation. gradual, because I mean, a gradual escalation is good. You don't want to see, like, as you said, you don't want to see going from, oh, I don't agree with you to a bomb threat. Yeah, exactly. Or I'm going to destroy your life online. Yeah. You know, and, and something like that. It's, it's just really tragic mm-hmm. that, Kids don't know how to fight, recover, and then be friends. Ron Murphy and I, the next day after we had our fight, we we're buddies. Even though I kind of up, you know, I stood him up a little bit by not running, and he was yeah. the only one that ran. So we we're buddies. And I think about the, that type of feeling when you get into a conflict. Like you had some battles, um, not fight battles, but competition battles. Yeah, with some various people. And I've also had. had you know, very minimal one-sided fight battles. Yeah, and, and it's kind of the making up after you've hurt each other is kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, why were we doing that? That was dumb. It's no. good. It's um, therapeutic almost to, yes. for both people. And I mean... But now we can't do that because we go from hello to AK-47 and there's no in-between. Mm-hmm. 
So there's got to be a root to all this. There's got to be something that's like, okay, there's a reason why people are escalating exponentially. Yeah, and I don't know that it's video games because I didn't play video games that had uh, anything to do with shooting or anything like that. I just wasn't coordinated enough to to win at asteroids and shoot the asteroids. Or Duck Hunter was like as close of a violent video game as I could get to. Yeah, shooting the ducks. Yeah, shooting the ducks. But we played every single recess. We were playing some sort of World War II or Vietnam simulation game. You know, <laughs> cops and robbers. Going through the trenches. You know, just it, absolute, yes, like, you know, yes. what is it? They're, they're getting shell-shocked out there on the playground. Right. And we're shooting each other with toy guns and stuff. And we'd have BB gun fights and, you know, my neighborhood literally shooting live BBs at each other. <laughs> and it's kind of like... I would never think of taking a gun and killing my best friend or killing kids at school that were being mean to me. I mean, for the love of Pete, I mean, toughen up a smidge. Mm -hmm. It's just soft. It just is really... Everything is protected. I remember even um, one of the kids you used to play with um, when you were just a baby. Okay. When there was no my toy, my toy, my toy. Watching this, you know, one adult... Just dive in. Like, oh no, let's talk about Sherry. And it's like, stop. Stop the eyewash. Just let them duke it out a little bit. A little bit. Because then they won't be going to AK-47 when mommy's not around to fix the situation when they're 18. Yes, exactly. God dang. It's just, it's let kids duke it out. I would love, like, during this whole COVID thing when baseball got canceled and we were talking about our team, it's kind of like, well, gosh, there's got to be a coach there. Actually, no, there doesn't. Novel concept, let's get 18 kids, drop them off at the ball field, and let them have, go, go play baseball. See yeah. if they can figure it out. That would be awesome. My mom and that's dad... That's complete sandlot shine. Like, that's is. awesome. Good stuff. My mom and dad, they came to a few of my Little League games, you know, but... But they weren't there all the time. It was me and the Schwinn Stingray bicycle getting me there. Mm-hmm. And man, and the coach would show up. And of course, you know, my favorite little league coach um, was the whiskey and coffee guy. And and he always, you know, he literally was a butter maker. Yeah. Uh, from Bad News Bears. And uh, okay. but that was great. There wasn't any coaching going on, and he set the lineup. But then we were on our own. You're just like, ah, go for it, and then I'll like rip a heater outside or something. Yes! Smoking in the dugout was a regular thing for him. If not, if it didn't happen, something was wrong. Exactly. He had a bad day at work. <laughs> or he didn't have time to stop and pick up a pack of smokes. So, yeah, yeah it, uh, it's just generally soft. And what scares me, if you, if you take what is going on now, you know, I don't like you to AK-47 being the quick jump. Wait till this group of people become adults. Oh, that's scary. You know, like in their 40s and 50s, and they actually have real-life challenges going on. I mean, it, uh, it's, it's going to be really, really fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like a lot of parents, you know, the helicopter parents, that probably has magnified the issue of protecting their kid. Yeah. They don't get a chance to have to figure out how to, you know, fix their shoelace that broke, you know, because mommy's there to do it for them. All right. I just, I think that's probably one of the biggest contributing factors. Yeah. And I mean, it's tough because I'd rather have a kid with absolutely no parental guidance uh, in the adult world than just helicopter because they've honestly, they've learned how to be an adult earlier um, than the other kids, but there needs to be a little bit of a balance. You, You would have to agree. Yeah. But between the two, I mean, sure. as of anything, you can't have too much of one thing. Yeah. So when I was in, and people would say that about, um, you know, probably my generation as well, which I think is Gen X. I don't know. Can't remember. Not a boomer. Not a boomer. Gen Xer. Um, you know, we were, we were very, very soft compared to my dad's generation that lived through the Great Depression that lived through World War II rationing. His brothers, you know, his older brother was in World War II, made three first wave landings in the Pacific and survived. Compared to Uncle Wally, I was soft. Very, very soft. And even my dad, you know, who graduated from high school in 1945, um, you know, the war was over. You know, so he signed up for the reserves and was going to go to Korea and, 
and the uh, the guy that was head of the Naval Reserves in Everett kind of like gave my dad, who was just getting married, kind of like a wink and nod. You know what? You probably want to pull out. Yeah. Um, you don't want to do this anymore because of what was coming down the pike with Korea. Mm. So anyway, it just kind of, I think the, the soft factor, at some point in time, there's going to be, there's going to be some significant um, repercussions to this overprotective type mindset that has been perpetrated for the last 30 years. Yeah. So it's just not good. I don't think it's good. Just not good. And then, you know, have you seen the video? I know that this is an audio show, but the video where, you know, this little four-year-old kid is making some fried rice and eggs uh, for his, like, one-and-a-half-year-old, two-year-old little brother. I have, yeah. Yeah, just crazy. It's kind of like, wow, this is more of a cultural thing. This is a United States I'm soft culture compared to what is going on in the rest of the world where kids actually have to be responsible and deal with conflict and mommy and daddy are working on making sure the family can survive rather than, you know, hovering over their soccer practice. Mm -hmm. It's something. It's something. Let me tell you. Good good stuff, though. I mean, America is really soft. Right, right, Right now, just everyone is soft and, you know, explosive. I mean, you look at the political climate... Goodness gracious! I mean, you could you could cut through that thing thick with a little butter knife. All right, it, it's tough. Tension yeah. tension is up. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, brutal. and they don't know how to deal with the fact when you don't win. Mm-hmm. Everyone Ele- elections Everyone. have consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the way it goes. You know, you don't get to just deny your reality and say, "Oh, he's not my president." I'm sorry, you're an idiot. He's your president. Get used to it. Obama was my president. I happen to, I happen to, looking back on things, I've only voted for non, one non-winning president, um, in since my my voting history. Yeah, I voted for George H. W. Bush, um, for his second term, and he lost to Bill Clinton. After that, I think I voted for every single president that won. But that's a side note. But the point is... is that's, that, that's a subtle flex. You're just kind of like, yeah. you, you know what's up. Yeah, well, you know, I made bad mistakes. I regret every single one of my votes. So there you <laughs> go. You know, horrible. And I think I think my, my votes were more of a reaction to what was the president before. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I voted for, you know, George Bush because, you know, Clinton was a bit of a disaster. Um, I voted for Barack Obama because George Bush was a disaster. And I voted for Donald Trump because I know that Hillary was going to be a disaster. So there you go. Yeah. But people, there are people that still haven't accepted, you know, because they got their participation trophy. In elementary school now, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. Literally, everybody wins. Oh, five-run rule, you don't get to cream today. Some people need to get absolutely demolished. Just demolished. And we set them up. We deny them the opportunity of learning how to deal with losing. Mm -hmm. Not everyone gets a trophy. No. They don't. They shouldn't. No. Mm -mm. That's not how life is because life isn't fair. Yeah, you just got to deal with it. It's the harsh reality. Yeah, adapt and move on. And uh, yeah, interesting. Speaking of harsh realities and. Politics. Um, we're gonna go into a, like a little quick lightning question round. Got some of the, the Instagram DMs that they want to hear some input. Hmm. Um, Joe Biden hair sniffing. Quick thoughts. Yeah, it's a thing. It's real. <laughs> he's a sniffer, and he's you know thank God for C-SPAN because it's all recorded. And there have been some great montages put together of how he's just a sniffer and. Hey, who doesn't enjoy the smell of a good shampoo, right? Exactly. Right. And I'm talking about, you know, the f- little bit fruity smelling shampoos. No, I, I have a little comment on those shampoos of women versus men shampoos. I mean, women, they get to smell like actual things. Lavender, vanilla, watermelon, grapefruit, stuff like that. Men, what are we subject to? We're subject to smelling like topics or theories. Like what? Like, um astral projection or um complete zest just like super weird like manly type stuff like 
you know, uh, fallen lumberjack, really like weird things. It's like, okay, yeah, this is manly. Come grasp it. And it's just like, I want to smell like something tangible, you mm. know? But anyways, the the shampoo. Yeah, it's always been just Dove soap, you know, just the bar of soap right on the head. Yeah. So, and so I'm I'm gonna really struggle with that. So, what was the? What do you think, Biden? What do you think is? Yeah, he's his, a sniffer. Like, he's, he's a sniffer. But what's his like preferred shampoo choice? You know, he's got some plugs, and and I don't have plugs because I'm nearly bald Mm -hmm. but uh, he's got some plugs and I think you have to use a special shampoo and from what I've heard is it's like a tea tree which stimulates the scalp to increase the blood flow to the hair follicles because those plugs they can go bad Mm. and um, so yeah he has more hair now than he did when in like 77 jeez yeah Yeah. okay next question Um, the next two are kind of sports questions Uh, state of the major, uh, all three major league uh, sports. Um, Hockey, NASCAR, and... Uh, t- golf. Golf. Those three? No, I'm talking about... Um, first, I want to hear your thoughts on MLB. What's kind of going through your mind of what they're doing? Are they doing it right? Freaking the Marlins, they've been out for, for, I think, the most amount of games. They had their season opener canceled mm-hmm. due to coronavirus. Are they playing now? They're playing now, and they're, like, first in their division because they have a better win percentage than everyone else. They <laughs> also play the least hey, amount of we're games. We're hoping for injury, not not bad injuries, but, like, just two-week DL injuries because Travis needs a shot, and he's going to go bomb. Yeah, exactly. Cousin Travis. Let's go, Cousin Travis. There we go. But, you know, what do they do with thoughts on, like, how they're handling all this thing? You know, um, no idea. I haven't really watched anything baseball-wise. I've, I've yeah. seen some highlights. Uh, I think I Seattle baseball isn't something to uh, want. You want to go watch, really. You want to go watch, and it's it is really amazing um, the impact of fans not being there. And uh, it's been cool to hear people mic'd up mm-hmm. because you can really actually hear them. Same thing with like on the on the PGA tour. Yeah, know, people being mic'd up. They miss a putt and they're yeah. they're swearing to to Pete. It's crazy. Yeah, I haven't watched the NBA for years. I was bitter when they traded uh, um, the Supersonics away to the no OKC. no. Or this you... is going back to the eighties. Oh, so yeah. Wow. So we had uh, Tom Chambers, um, Dale Ellis, and Xavier McDaniel's. They were all averaging over 20 points a game, and uh, they were it was it was a force. I think Bernie Bickerstaff was the uh, coach. Crazy and, good names. Yeah, really good yeah, sports yeah, names. Yeah, really good. And you know there was some complaining and whining, so they got rid of Tom Chambers because Dale and X Man wanted a little bit more shine, you know, and uh, more attention, and uh, that was brutal. Mm. That that broke up uh, just a, a good. Not a, you don't always have to like each other to do well as a team, and that was a great example of uh, you know this uh, a team performing with a lot of acrimony. Yeah, there's um, been a lot of that in sports, which is cool. Like Kyrie and LeBron, or Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Yeah, stuff. Great like examples. That. Great mm-hmm. examples. And uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't watched a whole lot. Um, you know, I what I've found is is that they're better. Better things to do with my time <laughs> than watch professional sports. Yeah. Or and like, you know, because I'd say for those professional sports, yes. But then when it comes to the NFL, it's fun to go and watch a little bit of football. You're a football guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Big football guy. You like college football yeah, a lot. Yeah. And that's, I'm going to miss it. It'll be really, football more than any other sport is an emotional game. And it'll be interesting to see how the players are able to just be there with their raw emotions with no fan influence. Either, you know, bringing them up or pushing them down. It's going to be kind of cool to see. It's really yeah. just them. Yeah, the, in the, the Seahawks got to love this. Or not the Seahawks, but the Seahawks opponents have got to love this because, you know, every third down is going to be converted. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There will be, be no false starts uh-huh. uh, created by fan noise and not being able to hear the snap counts. So it's going to be a, an interesting year. And, Do you even think it's going to happen? Uh, you know, the NFL seems to have enough money in the short term to be able to pay for enough testing 
often enough to maybe give this, you know, somewhat of a semblance of a idea that it's safe, um, which is weird because football is the most unsafe sport, you know, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if they played the number of games that the NBA played, you know, there would be no one left. It would just be cemeteries for NFL teams. Uh-huh. And, um, and so it, it's going to be, I, I think they might get a few games into it, but... I mean, gosh, you can't... This virus has a mind of its own. They don't even know the vectors of transmission, really. They think it's large droplets or small droplets or whatever else. Maybe it's, you know, someone didn't wash their hands after they're in the bathroom and it's transmitted via fecal matter. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, and anybody who says they know is lying because they've been studying the flu for over 100 years really, really closely, and they still don't have it figured out. It's tough. It's really tough. And, you know, the, in our family, we don't get flu flu vaccines. No. And I, I think we probably, all of us have gotten the flu maybe five times out of the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 99 times out of 100, the flu vaccine that they put out there for their flu shots works on last year's flu, but not on this year's flu. <laughs> so yeah. it, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a moving target, and it's. I, I don't see this going away. The most frustrating thing about this whole uh, shine show for me is I don't see an off ramp to crazy. Yeah, we are on the crazy road. There is no off ramp, and the hill just keeps getting steeper down. And um, I, I, I'm just kind of nervous to see what's at the bottom of the ravine. So you think that uh, the coronavirus will still be in play come and post election day? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even after January 20th. Um, because if Trump wins, you've got all the people that are used to getting a trophy for everything and just going, you know, he's not my president. Yeah. And they're idiots. Um, but, you know, they'll they'll find a way. It's all about power. Yeah. You know, and if Joe Biden wins and Carmella, uh, you know. Hoodie Mella. <laughs> Hoodie Mella. That is not going to, uh, that's not going to make the virus go away either. But we look at the numbers from Sweden right now, and yeah, they had a respike back in June. But man, their deaths, their death rate is just crazy low. Mm. And now they have herd immunity in their country, and we don't because we've been locking down. This is the perfect environment for COVID transmission, by the way. Yeah, you know, isolated in a fifteen by twelve room. And we're very, very close to each other. And if we were here for two weeks on end, we probably just, you know, both of us would get the corona. Yeah, it's it's really like, now that you say that, it's a heat check. It's kind of saying like, all right, what are you going to bring to the table? Are you safe with this? And if not, sucks. Yeah, That's what I say to all my guests. Yes, absolutely. It's pretty good. But anyways, thank you for your input on that. Um, everyone's fired up just knowing that, you know, you gave your input. But anyways... We are on to the next two things. Um, one, SAT. We have to know the SAT score. 1984, the old scoring model, max 1600. So it's weird. It actually went, it started like where you are was at 1600. It moved the scaling, I think, to 2400 for a little bit. And then it moved back to when I just started to do it. Right, and they recalibrated it. Yeah. So I was, under the old model, I was uh, 600 and, uh, no, I take that back. It was 590, 510. 590 uh, verbal and 510 math. So that would be? Average. Okay. Very average to not spectacular. That's okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, considering where you are now. It's Norwegian things. It's just Norwegian things. I mean, tests were n- never really our... Took it once. Yeah. Didn't You know, people didn't take it multiple times and that sort of thing, but... There weren't a lot of tryhards back then. No. No, and there wasn't a lot of, you know, helicopter parenting. You know, I had to... You know, there was no parent making sure that I signed up online. Yeah, you know, exactly. We, yeah. You guys did a great job with your kids for doing that um, almost way too well. Um, Right now you're two out of two for taking the SAT multiple times for the kids. Uh, One's coming down the pike. I don't know what, you know, number three, Karsten, is up for. He's unique. He's unique. A little different kind of human. Yeah, he's a craft beer. 
Okay. Yeah, it's not Budweiser. It's not Miller Lite. He's a craft beer. He's like, uh, you know, fat tire. All right. And he's got one fat tire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. He's dragging some rubber behind. <laughs> yes, him. he is. He's got a full load. Jeez. Don't mind the trailer. <laughs> wide, wide load. He, he, he needs the signs on on both sides. Well, thank you for the SAT. Now it's time for the dreaded Triple H. Just straight into it. We got Hero, Hardship, and Heart. You can tackle these in any order you want to. All of the orders have been, you know, knocked out. I mean, they're in terms of what you're going to do it with. They've been putting the hardship in the middle and and beginning. So I can, okay. You can really do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But just so you know, you can't. You know, be creative with with the order in which you explain it. Okay. Um, yeah. As of now, you might break the mold. I don't yeah. know. So here, I've never really put people up on pedestals. Um, that's the hard thing is that uh, you know, real life heroes. Man, I have a lot of people that I admire, a lot of uh, people that have traits I admire. But I remember when I was a, a freshman in high school, looking up to someone that was a senior. And uh, all I saw was kind of just the, the sliver of what they were about. Mm-hmm. And I kind of put them a little bit up on a pedestal. Then I found out what they were really about. And I was kind of like, mm, wow, so disappointed. Mm-hmm. So I don't put a lot of people up on a pedestal. Because once well, you know enough, they turn out to be like, wow, I can't believe that I put them there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I don't know... Like there were some sports people that uh, that I enjoyed watching a lot. Would I elevate a sports person as a hero? Uh, hero to me is someone that overcomes a lot. So let's use an example: King Griffey Jr. Man, phenomenal. Is he a hero of mine? No. Mm-hmm. The kid with one leg playing freaking catcher in Little League. That guy's a freaking hero. Mm-hmm. That guy's amazing. That guy has overcome some serious shine. Jim Abbott, one-handed or one-armed pitcher, great. He's overcome. He's dealt with some great things. I look at people that have overcome um, either natural disabilities or quirks or tough upbringing or whatever. Just really it is. getting dealt the worst. Yes, that life and could they deal them. and they came through. That's inspiring. So this TV show that I was watching Love on the Spectrum with uh, your mom. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely. Not Love on the Spectrum with your mom. It's no, You were watching it, it yes, with my mother. With, with Allie. It's called your Love on the Spectrum. Love on the Spectrum about these high-functioning autistic adults that are trying to find love. And I'm just, I was so inspired by the way their heart, their heart and their passion to connect and what they were willing to try that was new. I mean, that was phenomenal. I wish that I had actually seen a show like that when I was maybe 16, 17, 18, because some of their dating advice and you know tips about how to engage with someone, man, it was phenomenal. How to read cues, like you, father like son, sometimes we don't read cues very well. We're generally sometimes obtuse. all the time. Yeah, all the time. There is no reading of cues ever. Right. Completely illiterate. Yeah, completely illiterate. Emotionally. And yeah, emotionally. And that's okay. Yeah, you it's know, a we, deficit. It's, we need some people looking yeah, out for yeah, us. Yeah, you need some people looking out for us. Both to spot the people that might be good matches and uh, are interested in us. But also to help avoid the crazies. Just need some savvy. It needs yeah. someone with a little bit extra feel. So, um, in terms of uh, heroes, man, just anybody overcoming a heart. Like I had breakfast uh, on Thursday at my normal shop, uh, the Colby Diner. Yep. And there was this guy that's been coming in more regularly. He's about seventy. And uh, anyway, I don't really. He's kind of grumpy, it always seems. So I don't really talk to him. But I saw a sticker. It was a Vietnam veteran um, sticker in his car, U.S. Army. And so anyway, I was sitting down at my table, and and he said, "Hey, can I join you?" And so he joined me at my table, and uh, and you know, I said, "Hey, is that your van out there?" And you know, were you in Vietnam? And he goes, "Yes, I was." And I go, "Well, thank you for serving." And from that point on. Um, he went on for about 50 minutes, just his, he was dumping. Wow. And I don't, it was very scattered. So I don't think it was a normal story that he had told. Um, but he was a shoe stringer in the 101st airborne kind of behind the lines kind of guy that go out and, 
you know, put a, a, a wire around the neck or a shoestring, whatever, and then, you know, you, you got the forward um, scouts of yeah. the Viet Cong and uh, stab them and, you know, kill them. Yeah. And he went on and on and on talking about all this different stuff and experiences. And it was really amazing. You know, it was both joy because of the brotherhood that he had with those that he served with and then horror. So it was it was this duality of joy and pain that was uh, that was going on, and uh, I don't think that he had really t- shared any of that stuff, maybe ever. Yeah. But because it just came spilling out, and I just listened. I, I like asked two clarifying questions. I think in the fifteen minutes, and it, the rest of it was just him. He was just doing his own podcast. It was fascinating, and he overcame a lot. He owns a small construction company now. Employs some people. That guy's a hero. Yeah. Not just because he served, but because he went through some sort of hell. And, you know, he's made a functioning, you know, life out for himself. Yeah. So that's those. That's my hero category for me. Um, hardships. You know, I, I live, I have a really blessed life, um, especially now. But even going back to it, my parents were together. Um, I had enough spice uh, in my family growing up. An interesting relationship with my brother was 14 years older than me. Um, he suffered from a mental illness as well as a bunch of, you know, kind of like things that made it more complicated. Um, you know, self-medicating type things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was a shine show. Um, bipolar is a, a just a rough disease and I can look back through my entire childhood and there were probably I don't know I would say quarterly for my entire years growing up until I was you know 18 living at home where there would be something that happened related to him that was either almost the cops getting called or a fight in the house or whatever and screaming match. So I look back at that and I kind of go, yeah, that was a little bit hardship. Um, I survived. No one ever beat me. No, didn't live on the street or anything like that. But we all have, um, we all have little challenges here and there. Um, you've never seen this movie, The Three Amigos, uh, Martin Short, Chevy Chase, and Steve Martin. I don't think I have. Gotta see it. There's a line from this movie and there's this bad guy that was after um, uh, the three amigos, and his name was El Guapo, and uh, the handsome, the handsome, yeah, and uh, and and they said, you know, life must be easy for them, you know, they don't have an El Guapo coming after them. What do you mean? Everyone has an El Guapo. For some, it is shyness. For some, it is loneliness. For us, it is an ugly man named El Guapo, <laughs> and uh, and so we all have our shine to go through. And if it hasn't happened yet, it will. Yeah, bound to happen. Losing my dad was particularly tough, um, but you know that was when I was like twenty one, twenty two. Um, but other than that, you know, I think I've had a pretty blessed, blessed life. That's good. Yeah, awesome. And what was the third H? Heart. Heart. My passions. Yeah. What What are your passions? And you can go into as many of them as you want. Mm, passions. People are interested. I'm interested. Yes. I, I still have literally no idea sometimes. Yeah. So passionate about God's love for me and my journey of trying to understand um, what that love is about. Um, trying to understand how that love gets manifested back towards others. Um, passionate about truth. Passionate about um, doing things right. Um, right intent and uh, and I you know I, I think there as I look at my family that God's you know blessed me and allowed me to have being passionate about my wife being passionate about my kids and and uh, just being able to to see them fortunately they're all competent and have abilities enough to be able to gain independence with their own lives at some point and uh, it's just been it's been awesome being able to see that. Um, I would say too passionate about um, about learning and listening, mm-hmm. um, but also passionate about you know in in the Jewish concept of sin 
it's not only a sin to do the wrong thing, but it's a sin to fail to do the right thing. Hmm. And sin, you know, English word, going back to Old English, means an archery term, means missing the mark. And the mark is trying to do things the way that God would have us do them. And, um, you know, probably, yeah, I tell you, being able to see people grow in their journeys um, with truth, with Christ, with God's love, um, coming to grips with the reality of that love for the first time, um, despite maybe all of their preconceived notions about what God's love is all about or Jesus is all about, that's a pretty amazing privilege to be able to see um, people come to that uh, awakening. And uh, when I was in Young Life um, on staff, and it, it was just... The, the passion was all about just giving more and more people, more and more adults to have the opportunity to be able to walk with kids as they experience that eye-opening, you know, awareness of God's love for them. Mm-hmm. Now, what they do with it, that's that's their journey. But um, that, was, that was amazing. And I still feel like I get a chance to experience that um, as I... You know, parents of Jackson, Keeley, and Karsten, all of which are kind of like, you know, miniature evangelists or truth speakers to their friends. And it's just fun to see um, that be able to take place. And uh, you don't know when it's going to happen. But, uh, you know, on the, what's the movie, uh, The Matrix? Mm. Red pill, blue pill. Keep on taking the blue pill. Just kind of like keep on going along, nothing earth shattering. Don't see things how they really are. Take the red pill, you see things how they really are. And uh, when people take the risk of quietly considering the reality, the possibility, the potential of God's love for them individually and wanting to help transform them to be a loving person, a a person with a purpose. Um, that's that's just fascinating, you know. And it's not anything um, that I was able to do or construct. I felt like it was merely just a spectator of watching God work and reach out to people in their lives, and uh, the conversations that occur. The best conversations I have with people are just like I had with the guy at, at breakfast the other day, uh-huh. where I don't say much at all, and they just talk. And uh, so anyway, those are some of my passions. Well, there we go. I like mowing the lawn. Yes. I love uh, I love uh, striping lawns um, and uh, doing yard work and, you know, things like that. Big fan of the Whitworth Cut Crew Twitter page. Absolutely. I tell you what, I'm a little... <laughs> I hope they were joking when they said that they used lasers for their line um, orientation because... Uh, yeah, you got to start out somewhere. So if they're using a laser guide, that's fine. But I hope that they stick with it long enough so that they can, you know, just do it by eye. Master the craft, really. Because, I mean, a tool can get you so far, but when you master that tool and then when you can do it without, it's like mm-hmm. you can actually, you're deserving of that. What people don't appreciate, though, what I really like about uh, the Whitworth Cut Crew the amount of time that projects takes because the scope of the projects are so big. Huge. Yeah, we're just going to tidy up the uh, infield skin, uh, you know, the back line of the infield skin where it beats. Wow, that, that, that's, that's a week and a half project. You know, it's uh, nothing is done quickly no matter how big your machine is. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. Yeah. Great wisdom. Great just, you know, fireball energy that you're, you're bringing out. We love that. Is there anything else that you got? No, thanks. This is this is fun. I still don't know that I'll ever listen to one of your other podcasts. And that's kidding. okay. It's okay. I I now that I know what you're doing, it's okay. It's yep. good. This is really it. It's still super early on in the show's history and its yeah. lifespan, so we don't know where it's going to go. I think you do a great job with it. I think it would be um, worthwhile to consider also adding a video component. But but beyond that, um, I hope you keep you know keep season one going a little bit longer, and I definitely would like to be the Larry Bud Melman 
the um, tattoo Hervé Villachez that calls in occasionally. You don't know who Hervé Villachez is. Whoever it is, whatever yeah. reference you're trying to make, because there's it's so a many little person. Don't. Yeah, just, that's really the frustrating thing. And being 53, my world, popular culture wise, it it really stopped at probably 1994. Mm-hmm. You know, it, everything that's happened beyond that. When they come out with the you know the the recent edition for trivial trivial pursuit, I'm gonna be completely hosed. Yeah, but you're you know nuts, just crazy sharp with the 1994. Yes, and ask me under. about 1970s TV. You know, ask <laughs> me about 1970s TV. Ask me about um, you know just political things that happen. I mean, I watched Watergate when I was a kid. Cause we only had one TV and my dad would come and home from work and he'd want to watch the Watergate hearings and that's what I would watch. Yeah. And I would watch whatever he watched. I would watch Archie Bunker, All in the Family, um, Barney Miller, MASH. There was just a ton of great things. And so beyond that though, 1988, 89, I think my popular culture awareness and memory kind of went up. It's capped out. Yeah, it's capped out. Well, hopefully you'll be able to just kind of bring that to the table next time on a, what is it, Larry Bud Melman? Yeah. The guy? You, you'll be the Larry Bud Melman. So, question for you. What's it like being in a situation, because you're a talker. Yeah. And you've been able to chime in a little bit, but an interviewer, the, the goal is to get people to talk. Yeah. I feel like and, I've done pretty listen, good here. Yeah, you've, you, you know, you haven't been dominating, you know, that sort of thing or anything, but it, is that kind of hard just to listen when you want it to be about you sometimes too? Do you feel that tension every once in a while inside you want, oh, I've got something really funny and relevant to say, but that would make it about me, not about my guest? The thing is, is the way that this podcast is set up, um, the interviews at least, uh, the vision that I have is to let the person on the other end give themselves a voice mm-hmm. and really let their own you know selves be heard because I mean doing this people could say something to the audience or even just back come back to themselves it's like all right I didn't know that about myself I, how did I say that why did I get there kind of like what what got in there and stuff and really just you know letting them have the show because it's fun to be the center of attention and being the spotlight and I mean, just the opportunity to, you know, start this podcast and being, I'd say, um, kind of in the spotlight, it's great, but I like to elevate people more. And I think that that's truly like, that's the joy because I get to know some things about the people that I'm interviewing that I've never known before. So there's this one show on, and are we running out of time? Oh no. Okay. Uh, it, it was a show called Inside the Actors Studio in the, the Questions. He would ask every single guest that came on. These are all famous actors and stuff. Um, these questions, and it was the best part. What, what's show. it? What's it called? Inside the Actors Studio, and the guy's name was uh, Lips, Lipton, um, the host, uh-huh. and he would sit at this little three-legged table, and he had all these cards and. And the 10 questions that he would ask every single guest, um, one, what is your favorite word? What is your least favorite word? What turns you on? What turns you off? What sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise do you hate? And uh, then the last one, or the ninth one is, what is your favorite curse word? I think you need to add that element. Okay, Um, yes. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? So those 10 questions, um, was that? I think that was just nine. Oh my gosh, am I screwed up? So, do you are you having a tough time working your phone? Yeah, I am because it's the Apple. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that that'd be kind of fascinating. Well, thank you. I'm gonna be in. It's gonna be in the show now. So, okay. congratulations, you thank have you. helped out. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks but, for having me on. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be on the Sink or Swim podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. Super appreciative. And for all those people listening in, um, whether you're on a long drive, if you actually have nothing better to do and you're sitting in a cozy chair with a blanket, 
um, and you're just listening, no matter what, thank you. I'm super appreciative of everyone that is uh, supporting in any way. Um, continue to listen, continue to share if you want to. Um, uh, again, if you want an interview or if you have some advice or you think that I'm doing something completely wrong, please follow the Instagram, uh, sink or swim, S-I-N-K-O-R-S-W-E-U-M. Uh, just shoot us a DM and we'll be able to get your input. And if you're a friend that's listening, thank you. Uh, just for being a friend and for being someone that you know I can always come and rely on and uh, If you're a fan if you don't know who I am consider yourself to be a friend. So thank you so much um, I Guess we can call it now uh, the 10th question. What is the 10th question the 10th question? Uh, inside the actor's studio if heaven exists What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hmm <laughs> Wrong stop. <laughs> Next station. <sighs> what would you like to order? What is on the menu? All yeah. right. You got a mask? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're not six feet apart. That's you right. have to be six feet apart in line. But anyways, uh, I am Jackson. And I'm Rich. And this has been Sink or Swim. We will... See you next time. Peace.